Number one records and concerts at the White House are thrills. But pianist Paul Cardall draws on another inspiration to let him really put his heart into his music. God gave me the gift of music so I could process life. We all need something to do that puts us in a mindset that we can think through clearly what is going on. Just creating peaceful, calm, relaxing music did that for me. That's heart transplant recipient and musician Paul Cardall. And we're listening to him play a song from his CD, Peaceful Piano, called When Morning Comes. Today's episode of Let's Talk Hope deals with how Paul came to realize that healing is a lifelong pursuit. I'm Marian Shuck, the host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to talking about creating lasting legacies through organ and tissue donation. I'm joined today by Paul Cardall, an 11-time number one billboarding recording artist with millions of fans who are diverse and live in more than 160 nations. 11 years ago, he had a heart transplant and has also had near-death experiences. Paul, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences and what led you to need a heart transplant? First of all, thank you for having me. It's a true honor to share my story because I believe my story, like so many others, is an example of how far we've come as people in helping each other survive beyond what we never could have expected, you know, hundreds of years ago. You know, I came into this world with only half a functioning heart. I only had a single functioning ventricle, needed surgery immediately. And that was in 1973 when most children born with some deformed or diseased heart never survived. But congenital heart disease, which continues to be the number one cause of infant-related deaths and one of the least funded of all the major illnesses, there happened to be a surgeon who knew through some studies and working with other cutting-edge doctors, I, that's, that's not a pun, he is a surgeon, but it was cutting-edge technology where he was able to go into my little infant body and reroute some of the blood so to alleviate some of the pressure, giving my parents what he told them, me about a year to live. Uh, when I was 13, I developed endocarditis, and which is a staph infection. And if you have staph, you, you don't do very well. And the antibiotics were not killing off the staph. And, and they thought I was dying. And my parents by then had eight children. It was such a scary time. But they told us about this new invention called an MRI, which is so normal today. But back then, they put me in this and they found this the source of the infection, which was a blister, on my heart. And because we had that, that new technology, they were able to uh, proceed with a surgery that would save my life. And, you know, for anyone out there that's scared or nervous about, you know, will there be medicine? Will there be new technology? We just keep going on supporting our medical communities because they're coming up with amazing things. And the timing happened to be in my favor. And I feel like extremely overwhelmed and blessed by it all. That's a great point, Paul. As you think about 
myths and misconceptions that center around organ and tissue donation. People really believe that we won't try to save their lives. They need to take all their organs with them. The medical profession continues to have disparities and lack of trust when it comes to people of color. Help us understand a little bit, um, and I'm just going to go off of, you said your parents had eight children. Were you the only child who had this issue with your heart? And then what was it like to have eight children and then have an 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, 13-year-old with these types of health challenges? How did your family get through this? Because I'm sure you required a lot of care to fight off and stave off all of these things, but yet to be a benefit of medical technology and evolution? I think bottom line is my parents, when they got married, were extremely committed to each other. And that is a rare thing. Not everybody has that support, but it adds to the the psychology of a child. And in my determination, I was loved. Not everybody has this, you know? And there were times where I felt completely alone even though there's eight of us and there's seven siblings, I was the only one with this illness. And it was me and mom going up to my medical procedures and the other kids were always at home. And even to this day, they still see me as the kind of the, the, the special miracle child uh, that got a lot of attention, more attention than the most. And so for a lot of parents today, I I still encourage them, make sure you give equal balance to the child that is receiving the medical help. I think it's harder on my parents. It's harder on them. I go through physical pain and there is mental pain and there is psychological over time. But I hate to say it, but they, they, they gave me really good drugs to make it through a lot of these things. And they didn't get any of that stuff. They didn't self-soothe their trauma. My parents weren't drinking alcohol. They come from a very conservative LDS home. And so it was a, it was a culture there in Utah of family. And family was everything. And community was everything. And I guess I was just fortunate to grow up in kind of this unusual utopia that, you know, I, I can't say that my story is like everybody else's because since being an adult and traveling, you know, country after country, helping families affected by congenital heart disease, and then later getting my heart transplant, you know, I see the dynamics and how challenging it is and how important it is for the one parent, if you don't have the two, to just do everything you can to make sure all of the children have their mental needs met versus just the one. Because oddly, the child that feels that kind of is centered as the special kid that gets this make-a-wish and gets this, we kind of get everything. We're very spoiled. There's a lot of attention on us. And, and so we grow up wanting that attention. I guess maybe that's why I got into music. Maybe that's why I need people to be my fans and listen to my music. It's, it's this weird thing. Whereas my brother, he's a construction manager. He works, he works harder than me, but he doesn't get the worship and the praise for doing something publicly. And maybe it was, you know, so there's so many dynamics to it all. It's an unusual path. So was music, uh, did you start music 
as a way of healing or how did it lead to your musical interest and then your subsequent career? After that surgery, I had to go back a year later and have reconstructive surgery. Then a couple of years later, a friend of mine who was perfectly healthy could sit down at the piano, play Billy Joel, root beer rag, could play anything, Ray Charles, you name it. And I was mesmerized going, how do you do that? I'd taken piano lessons when I was eight. I didn't like it. I wanted to be outside with everybody else, even though I was pick last because I had the bad heart, but I still was outside playing. My friend, you know, it was a hard thing. He got hit by a car and he died. I come from a religious home. I was wondering, you know, my parents are teaching me about God and the purpose of life. And, you know, there's a meaning to everything. And I was like, well, I don't understand it. You know, I've got, I was born with this thing I didn't choose. I didn't choose to have half a heart and have all these surgeries. It was just given to me, you know. Uh, my parents pay a medical bill so I can go in and be tortured. But I get I get saved. I get rescued. I get healed. Um, everyone sends me cards. But then out of nowhere, my perfectly healthy friend who could run real fast and play the piano is killed in, in an instant. And I was so devastated. I went into the piano in my parents' living room. I pounded on the piano, angry. And then I hit a couple notes just real gently. And I was like, you know, this is kind of like in the in the hospital, I always hear those beeps. But this is this is this is like heaven. This sounds like these three notes I just hit sound wow, why don't they make that the sound in the hospital? And it was so heavenly, it was a melody. And I started creating and composing. And what that did for me was God gave me the gift of music so I could process life. And we all need something to do that puts us in a mindset that we can think through clearly what is going on and replay everything in our minds. And maybe it's not music. Maybe it's dance. Maybe it's crochet. I don't know. Quilting, uh, running a race, you know, blogging, having a I don't know. But we all need something to help us. And music, just creating peaceful, calm, relaxing music did that for me. Well, and you're sort of a renaissance man. So you're a phenomenal pianist who utilize your story to share about organ and tissue donation with our community to help them understand not only your story, but you really advocate for people being organ and tissue donors. Is this a result of not only your experience, but the experience of your friend, Diane, as well? Because I don't know if he was an organ and tissue donor, but how did this shape your advocacy? I think it shaped it tremendously. I, I was, you know, the heart transplant was always the last resort. I knew as a child, I'm either going to not survive very long, or there's going to be more surgeries or eventually a heart transplant. So I was scared, like so many people are, the thought of your heart being removed from your chest. And then the notion that you're getting the heart of another person. I mean, I care about people. So I'm thinking to myself, how in the world can I take the heart of a child, of, of another person, a brother, a father, a sister? You know, it, it, it blew my mind even thinking about it, but I thought about it for many years. And then when I finally got listed because I was so sick, couldn't do anything. I, I was on the list. 
and I was waiting for the transplant when my younger brother, Brian, who suffered from mental illness, was finishing up his PhD at uh, Arizona State University. When he had an episode, he ended up losing his life. And we were right there in that position, this odd position. Everyone in the community thought, well, let's pray for Paul. And then out of nowhere, my, my brother, like my friend, out of nowhere, my brother is killed. And we had to decide there and then if, if we could donate. And, and it made us, even though I was on the list, really think that through. And of course, we said yes, but uh, that was the day and the moment where I understood what it would be like for this other family whose heart I would be getting. And for the Christian out there, you know, I'm a Christian. My brother told me once that, you know, uh, and this gave me comfort and may give uh, Christians comfort, is that um, because of the, the sacrifice of your donor, you're going to be able to live a little longer. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you're going to live forever. And so that right there gave me a lot of comfort as a Christian. And, you know, I've spoken to so many other friends and other faiths about this these issues because there are these taboo subjects of, do I need this organ? I was born in Utah. My donor was born in Mexico. The heart that beats in my chest is a young man who was born in Mexico. And I love that because for me that day, I felt like I have Mexican heritage now. <laughs> so now you are an international Renaissance man. That's right. Every time I go to Arizona, I have to check my papers. But uh, <laughs> So I, I, I joke about it but a little bit, but uh, I love the fact that my heart is not from my same culture. It's not from my same faith. And it beats the, it, it flows the same blood. It's so beautiful. And they told me how beautiful it is, the way it works. It was like I was driving this beatable truck, you know, grandpa's truck that nobody wants to drive, but you know, it's rickety and it needs repair. And then I take that into the hospital and that's my old heart. And then they give me the keys to a Porsche. <laughs> yes. So and getting a heart, a donor heart is, has been the most incredible experience of my life. And you made a, a, a very good comment um, when you talked about your faith. Um, we talk about faith here, but not the way in which we should and maybe the reverence of the donation process, because I don't really care what type of faith you have, if you fa have faith or you don't have faith, but the ability to take one organ from someone else and to transplant it into someone else and it works within 30 seconds, you know, 25 minutes, 35 minutes, an hour, the ability to do that is a higher being in my mind. And I'm very faithful in a Christian. And, and so to me, having worked at Gift of Hope 13 years and seeing what we do, what organ procurement organizations do is very mesmerizing very amazing. And so I, I am glad that this was able to bring you an understanding about organ and tissue donation and to really help you to use your platform as now, I'm calling you the international renaissance man, to use your platform to really be able to educate and to put that spin on it. Because a lot of people don't see it that way. 
they see it as medical evolution, medical technology, um, innovation, as you mentioned earlier, from the different things. And so it is nice to be able to hear that this is pretty awesome and amazing. And the life that you've had has been pretty amazing. So tell me a little bit about the ways in which you share your story with the organ donation community. And if you've ever had a chance to write to your donor family. My donor family, because they're in another country, we've been able to send a letter off and, you know, it was translated and I basically told them, uh, because what do you say? What do you say? You know, I told them that I would do the best I can to honor the life that he lived and, and that I'll continue to carry on his, his legacy somehow. Well, a couple of years after my transplant, I had a baby girl. She would not even exist had that donor not signed up 90 days before the situation that resulted in my transplant, which happened to be the day after my brother had died. And so my daughter, I gave her the middle name of the donor. And she, in a way, has said, you know, it's great because I feel like I have several dads because God and me and then the donor whose heart is in my chest. And it's, I like that. I, I like her perspective as a, a nine-year-old seeing that. But music was there to help heal my heart. And it's been my life's work to use music to heal your heart and other hearts. And the organ donation experience, you know, I talk a lot, a lot about it in, in the music. So many of the themes, Gracie's theme or... Uh, my, my, one of my recent albums, The Broken Miracle, which is about my heart transplant. And, and it was actually a novel written by J.D. Netto, who's a fantasy writer who told my story uh, in The Broken Miracle. And I was fortunate to work with pop star David Archuleta on a song called My, my Heart Beats For You. And so I, I go out and I share my music and share... Uh, the message of organ donation, just by simply encouraging people the importance of it. And there are so many misconceptions and it's, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of tragic because it doesn't matter if I had gotten a female, a female heart or the heart of somebody who voted completely different from me. I don't think that would have meant that I would have gone and voted the same. I don't know. You know, it doesn't mean I would have automatically felt like I need to be a woman who knows? It doesn't really matter. I just wanted to live. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I, I have many guests who come on or many people that I meet in the course of the work that we do who said they've gotten transplants and they've all, all of a sudden had these weird cravings or these weird eating habits or they take on these new different habits that they've had um, based on. And when they meet the donor family, they're like, oh, did, did this person like this, that, and the other? Like, oh, they love spicy food. And they're like, I've never eaten spicy food in my life, but now I can't get enough of it. Uh, so were there any differences uh, in the way you, you operated or the way you ate or the things that you've done uh, that are different than before you had the transplant? Yeah. A lot. In The Broken Miracle, we go more in depth into some significant changes that took place 
in my life. And I don't know if it's a direct result of the donor, but we do know from neurologists and transplant experts that the, the hearts, the organs carry within it memory DNA or muscle DNA. You know, if, if you learn to ride a bicycle, you'll always know how to ride a bicycle and your organs and your body will know what to do. This is why people with Alzheimer's can sing songs. They somehow remember these things. And so um, my donor had some challenges. And so when certain things pop up emotionally for me, I've learned it's not me. It's not me. And it's okay. I'm going to get through this. And it's not that I blame it on my, my donor. It's I'm getting to know this other person whose muscle lives in me, that is a part of me. And I think it's such a beautiful thing because, you know, you talk about like guardian angels or things like that. And I'm not a big believer in that type of stuff, but I do believe that in a way that's kind of what I have with my donor. I feel close to him. And I also feel like, look, I got to watch my behavior. He's, he's, I'm not just working with this body. I'm working with his. (laughs) Absolutely. So tell us a little bit just about your musical experiences. You have fans that are diverse. They live in more than 160 nations. And you're an 11-time number one Billboard recording artist. What is that like to be able to now be able to live to the fullest and to be able to do the things that you love to do. And as you mentioned, if not for the grace of your donor, you wouldn't have the family that you have. Tell us what it's like to have that second chance at life and and what you're grateful for. I wouldn't trade anything. There are so many things I could go back and say, okay, I would fix that. But the the experiences of being in the, the hospital and suffering, suffering's helped me grow in such a way that I think that's why I've become successful. But I've been faithful in sharing my story because it's all our story of struggle. We want to feel good in a world that wants to make us feel empty and alone. And so much of it is us reaching out. But then you you start to recognize there's so many people that are good. And when you are sick, people come into your life. And throughout my career with music, I never thought I'd play at the White House or get a Dove Award or have a number one record. These are, or work with C.C. Winans, the most Grammy winning gospel singer of all times to do a Oh Holy Night with her and work with David Archuleta and some of these other people, but just to create piano music that's helping people. You know, I got an email this morning from a mom who has a four-year-old child with a heart problem that needs surgery and she tells me that her, her little girl listens to my music and it's what's helping her go to sleep, even though she's afraid to go into surgery. And that there, that's better than playing at the White House. That's better than getting an award, is knowing that I can create based on the experiences I've had and help people feel hope and be a lighthouse to guide people through it. Because I think the thing I've most concerned about the thing that haunts me the most. I don't want this life to end. I think we live in the most complex, craziest, amazing, most beautiful world. And everyone is trying to figure out how to get along with each other. America's going through major growing pains right now. We have so much we need to learn from each other. So my hope is music can help people have more compassion, 
be aware that it's not just about you or about your family. It's about your community. It's about, it's about making this world enjoyable, not just for yourself, but for everybody. Absolutely. And you mentioned that sometimes it's hard for people to see the way forward. Like someone's scared. They don't understand the process of donation. They don't understand the options and the technology that are there. And you have become that voice for people who know the story that you shared. What would you say to other folks with children who may be in your same situation, um, needing a heart, heart transplant as a child, or just to people in general about trust and faith in the donation process? Well, I, I believe that the United States, because I've traveled outside of the United States to work on this with other countries, the United States has done an incredible job. We're leading the way in helping people to get the organs the best that we know how. We need, a, we need more people to register. We need people to overcome the fear um, because fear is the greatest liar. It, it is a something that keeps us from achieving what God intended us to achieve. You know, if I go back into my life and I look at those moments where I'm in the hospital with my mom or my dad coming in or just family members, even though I was in so much pain physically, temp it was so temporary. They gave me incredible medications, drugs, <laughs> incredible things to help me get through it. But those were some of the most meaningful, spiritual things I'd ever gone through. And there is times where I go, man, it would be nice to be back in that post-op or even pre-op before I got my transplant because of the love that I had in my heart and the love I felt from other people. It's sacred and it's pure and it's beautiful and... The nurses are the angels who walk the hallways. The doctors come in. We like the doctors. The surgeons are the hero. I mean, they're the, they're the rock stars that come in, sign autographs, and they're gone. But the, the people that are there to love you, it's really a beautiful, sacred experience. And I, I'm just grateful I went through it the way I did. I, I, it's not the same for everybody. But uh, I was always very prayerful. I do believe you need to have a higher power, a higher being. You know, anyone that goes to AA knows step three. You got to let go and let God, whatever that is. I like Jesus because Jesus has scars. He's a God who weeps, a God who bleeds. And so I connect with him. I found him in, in the mosque, in, in the temples, in, at the wall, all kinds of places. Thank you for saying that. That's so eloquent. And a lot of times people don't understand other people's experiences until they share their stories. And as I mentioned earlier, I have very strong faith and it was interesting. My husband died uh, three years ago. You know, people would always ask me, why aren't you angry? Why, why, why aren't you furious? And I'm like, I'm not angry. I'm sad, but I'm profoundly sad, but I'm not angry because I have faith and I know that my husband was lent to me, right? Marriage and children are a gift from God. And so you you lean on that in, in those times. And I think to your point, you know, sometimes you got to let go. 
you got to let go and recognize that these lives that we have are all because of a, a higher being and a higher power. And so my role is to really help people understand the process of donation, how they can advocate for themselves despite myths and misconceptions, despite the past history and crimes against uh, communities of color with regard to medical mistrust, um, despite people who are you know, undocumented or immigrants who don't have access to health care. I think we have to all be mindful of caring for each other and sharing their stories. And so I just thank you today for being here to share this truly powerful story with me and to really talk about faith in a way that puts organ and tissue donation front and center of being able to own it and to talk about it and to not be afraid to talk about it. So I I really appreciate you being able to open up to me in that way. And so my final question is, tell us a little bit about what music you're working on. What's what's going on? Well, first of all, thank you, Marion, for, for sharing that about your husband. And, you know, one of the cures for grief is to reach out and to, to keep working, to serving. And what you're doing is just amazing. So so thank you for, for advocating. You know, I just had the, the fortunate experience to go to Baldwin Wallace University. There was a beautiful Steinway. Uh, Steinway puts a piano uh, in this theater. I've got a Grammy-nominated engineer, and uh, we pretty much brought in a film crew, and I just sat and played what was in my heart and recorded probably about eight hours of music, which I'll then chop down to to 45 minutes that we'll put onto an album. I'm always working on new music, and I'm always... (laughs) trying to get the word out about all things heart. I started, I actually started a podcast called All Heart with Paul Cardall. I get to interview some pretty cool people like you about their experiences and the gifts they've been given and how they're using their gifts to make the world a better place. And then the other thing I I, I love doing is I, I have All Heart Adventures. After I got the transplant, growing up in Utah, I was never able to ski. I learned to ski, I learned to ski. Uh, then I moved to Nashville, and my wife, who's a scuba diver, said, let's go scuba diving. I could never go scuba diving. So now I'm an advanced certified scuba diver. Yeah, there's all these amazing things that I'm, that you get to do when you get the Porsche. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's pretty amazing. But uh, every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. So music again, um, God, God gave that to me to help me process I'm blessed to be able to use that to share with other people and and to get the message out about the importance of how beautiful this world is and we should do everything we can within the power that we've been given to to fight to live, even if that's not for ourselves, but for those that need us here. And uh, yeah, so thanks for all you're doing. Oh, you're quite welcome. It's, it's it's my pleasure, and it's as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, I want to come and talk to you on your podcast. It's uh, important that we reciprocate, that we, you know, continue to spread the message in any way that we can. And so, this podcast is just that way of taking stories that people would not normally hear, and to be able to share them with our audience. So, I'm very delighted that you were here today. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And to all the families who have gone through this, thank you. And to everyone who is waiting or thinking about it, it, it is a beautiful, sacred experience. And just journal it up and uh, know that I am rooting for you, cheering you on. And uh, we have our dark Fridays, but uh, Sunday comes. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Paul Cardall. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor for Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about donation process and how does it work. So we're going to spin the wheel, answer some questions from our loyal audience. So the wheel is going around and around and around, and it has stopped on question number 22. Number 22 says, how do you register your decision to be an organ, eye, and tissue donation? Well, there are several ways you can register your decision to be a deceased organ, eye, and tissue donor in your state. Number one, you can register at your local DMV. You can register in person or online. Just check their local website. You can register on our National Donate Life Registry at registerme.org or you can go to our giftofhope.org and it is there that you will see options to register. Your donor registration is a binding legal document of gift. You can remove your registration, update your personal information, or specify more detailed donation preferences at any time. Any adult age 18 and older can register to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor, regardless of age or medical history. 15 to 17 year olds can register their intent to be organ, eye, and tissue donors in your state or national registry. However, until you are 18 years old, a parent or legal guardian makes the final decision. Both your state donor registry and the national donate life registry are checked by donation professionals at the time of your death. The most recent donor registration is honored as your legal document of gift. That was such an awesome question. Thank you so much for sending it in and keep those questions coming. I want to thank you again for listening to Gites Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation today about organ, eye, and tissue donation with your loved ones and make your wishes known. You can learn more about organ and tissue donation or register your decision at giftofhope.org. If you like what you've heard today, we hope you'll listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.